is yours. All strength is yours. We lift up our voices today and declare your majesty. We declare that you are worthy, that you are mighty, that you are able, that you are more than enough, Lord God. You are above all, so high above and yet slain for us. Praise you, God. We sang the song before, in all our brokenness, you are our righteousness. In every area where we fall short, which is every area, we're not redeemed out of our own strength, but out of your righteousness, Lord God. In all our brokenness, you are our righteousness. And so therefore, Lord, yours is the praise. Yours is the glory and the honor and the power and the strength for you are worthy to be praised forever and ever and ever. Praise you, God. Thank you, Lord God. And the praise is yours, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, team. Thanks, everybody. You can take a seat this morning. You can take a seat. And it is good to see you all. Uh, I was here last week. I wasn't skiving off on holiday like Carl, but uh, it was good to see you then too. So that's nice, isn't it? Sorry, I'm ringing a wee bit up here. It's because I'm standing in front of this now, and I wasn't when we tested it, right? But I've got to say, the scary thing that I've been saying to people this morning is welcome to February, right? Uh, do you realize that you've used just over 9.3% of your year already? Uh, so I hope you've used it wisely. Uh, I think I've used it about as wisely as I could because I spent most of January uh, by going on holiday with my family at our usual summer spot in Golden Bay and uh, camping at beautiful Pohara Beach, which is where we've been going for a very long time. Uh, and as usual, we had a wonderful time there. Uh, And at the end of our holiday, really, none of us had any inclination to leave at all. So I do understand, Carl, uh, what you were thinking there. In fact, after about two weeks, because we we were there a bit longer, we were attempting a bit longer, about about the two-week mark, I sort of got up one morning and I suddenly thought, this is actually, this is like what I do now. Like, I live in a tent. (laughs) This is normal. I I don't know what else I'm going to do, but I now wake up in the morning, I I sleep on an air bed, and I go and have a shower over in another building, and I eat breakfast outside. That's my life. This is a normal life now. And so when we got to the end of our holiday, I was like, what are we? We're actually abandoning our whole lifestyle rather than just coming back from camping. It was quite different. But um, there are some challenges, though, aren't there, around camping that are a bit different from challenges that you, you have in your, in your home. And I, I shared some of that last, around this time last year. But one of the main challenges that you have when you're camping which is different from in your house, is noise, right? Tent walls are fine for stopping people being able to see in or out, but they're fairly hopeless, aren't they, at stopping from sound from getting in or out. You know, if the neighbors are up late partying, then you know it. If the waves are crashing in and it's high tide at three in the morning, then you know it. Uh, if a truck drives past the campground at 4.30 in the morning, you know it. Because the tent walls don't really do anything to stop that sound from getting in. Now, I, I need you to get an idea of our, our campsite. We've got a, a main tent, a large sort of canvas tent that's got sort of a kitchen 
and our living area, and then a, a bedroom area, which is where Joe and I are. And then we've got two smaller dome tents, which are basically the kids' bedrooms, right, that they sleep in. And the way we've got it set up is that our, our main tent's across here, and one of the dome tents is right at the end next to our bedroom. So there's, so there's our bedroom, there's a, what, a, a wall of cotton, effectively, about 30 centimetres of air, and then another sheet of material, and then our kids' bedroom, right? So that's, that's our sleeping arrangement. And what I've found amusing over the years is that somehow the kids who are sharing a tent, so there's two kids in a tent and one in the other, the kids who are sharing a tent over the years, they've always sort of thought, if they just talk quietly enough, mum and dad won't have any idea that we're playing and mucking around instead of going to sleep, right? They haven't got the, the concept around that two sheets of material and a 30 centimetre gap is not actually enough for parents to not be able to hear that their kids are up to mischief, right? I mean, let's be honest, you don't really need to hear anything to know that they're up to mischief anyways. It's like their default setting, isn't it? Yeah. It's like that joke, how do you know a drummer's playing out of time? His sticks are moving, you know. So it's, it's like, you, you know, oh, I didn't mean to offend any drummers. Sorry about that. You, you know, kids are up to mischief, but we can hear them through the tent wall, but somehow they think that if they whisper quietly enough or giggle softly enough, that mum and dad won't know that they're not going to sleep. But what's really strange, though, and this really, it, it happened a number of times this year, is that no matter how easy it is, it is for us to hear exactly what they're doing and exactly what they're saying on their side of the material, they can barely hear, it would seem, anything that we say to them or even recognize that we're trying to talk to them through the tent walls, right? So if it's stopping the giggling at night or maybe the arguments in the morning, it's like we as parents had to speak at five times the volume that they were for them to even understand that we were saying anything to them, let alone hear what it was that we were trying to express. Or is this all just me? Maybe that's just me. Just me and Joe. Anyway, one day I was over at the campground kitchen doing the dishes. And even when you're on holiday, though, doing the dishes is better, right? Because they've got outdoor sinks. And so you just stand there at the sink and you've just got the nice weather and you can hear the ocean. And, you know, so it's good. I, like, I quite like it. And I was sitting there contemplating, how is this even possible? That on one side of the tent wall, kids can be making a quiet sound. And we can hear everything that they're saying. And on the other side of the tent, we are calling them, calling out to them by name, and they don't even recognize that we're there. Like, how is this remotely possible? It doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. And in that moment, with my hands in the sink, scrubbing breakfast cereal off a plate or whatever it was, I really felt God impress upon my heart. You know what? That happens to me all the time. I get that all the time. We, as his children, cry out to him and pray to him and speak to him, and he is listening and he is hearing everything that we are saying. And then when he responds and speaks to us as our Heavenly Father, so often we don't hear or we don't listen to what he is saying. And so it was that dishwashing moment, I guess, that is the catalyst for what I want to share this morning. I'd like it if you'd turn to me in a, 
to turn with me to a passage in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30. It says this. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. The festival of dedication we now know as Hanukkah. All right, so that's the sort of the Jewish uh, celebratory festival at the end of the year, late November or December. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade, uh, which was just a long covered walkway on one side of the temple, kind of like an enormous porch or something, I guess, that they could aid from the sun or shelter from the rain. And the Jews who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, we all know that as as the new year starts, it's very common to set goals and decide on things we're going to do this year and what we're going to achieve and in the coming year. But I think a more important question than what am I going to do in 2018 is what kind of person am I going to become? And in 2018, I've decided that I would like to become more like a sheep. A sheep that belongs to the good shepherd. One who listens to his voice, who knows him and is known by him, and who follows him more deeply and more closely than ever before. I want to become a person who doesn't just make a whole lot of noise on their side of the tent wall, but one who listens and hears his calling, his prompting, and his will for my life. That's who I would like to become in 2018. So how do I do that? How do I hear God's voice in my life and become more like a sheep? Well, there's probably a lot of ideas that we can talk about, but there's three things that I want to bring to you this morning. The three steps are get yourself in a position to listen, be willing to receive and believe, and then follow and obey. Get yourself in a position to listen, receive and believe, follow and obey. So the first key is that we must put ourselves in a place where we can actually listen to and expect to hear the voice of God in our lives. I think the greatest example of this that I find in the Bible is found in this, this uh, man that we know as Samuel. And in 1 Samuel, we read about uh, Samuel as a boy, and uh, his, his mother, Hannah, was barren, couldn't have children. And uh, she was desperate for, for a child, and she prayed to God, and God answered her and miraculously enabled her to have a child. And in return, Hannah chose to dedicate Samuel back to God, and in fact gave him up to serve in the house of the Lord at the time, under the priest uh, Eli. And so uh, we're told that Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And then in chapter 3, we read that when Samuel was still a young boy, he was sleeping in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. 
Now, in Old Testament times, there was no greater manifestation of the presence of God than the Ark of God or the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box that contained the stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments on, right? Which was later found by Indiana Jones and then put into hiding, as you know. (laughs) So for Samuel to grow up in the presence of the Lord, it was actually quite a literal statement. He grew up, he spent his childhood, as far as this time was concerned, in the room where the manifestation and the representation of the presence of the Lord was actually sitting. And that was his bedroom. When he lay down to sleep, he lay down near the ark of God, in in the presence of the Lord. And one night as he lay there, he heard a voice calling, Samuel. And Samuel answered, here I am, and then ran to the priest, Eli, and said, here I am, you called me. And Eli said, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't call you. Just go back to bed. Go back to sleep. And then a second time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel jumped out of bed and ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. And Eli said, no, I, I didn't call you. Can you please go back and lie down and go to sleep? And a third time the Lord called again, Samuel. And again, Samuel got up, got out of bed, ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. Now, I reckon this tells us quite a lot about the character of both Samuel and Eli, actually. Firstly, for Samuel to be called three times in the night when he was trying to sleep and to simply respond by saying, here I am, you called me, is pretty impressive. I think if I tried that with any of my kids, they would not be that compliant by the third time. And on the other hand, if any of my kids showed up beside my bed three times in the night, I don't think I would necessarily be as patient as Eli was either. But by the third time Samuel came to Eli, Eli realized that that God was speaking to Samuel and said to him, if the Lord calls again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, which is exactly what happened. The Lord called him again, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Without even really knowing it, Samuel had positioned himself in the perfect place to hear from God. He spent most of his childhood in the presence of God, and he was simply being faithful in the tasks and jobs that Eli had been giving him. Last week, Julia talked about the routines of faithfulness, going about your daily life. And for Samuel, going about his daily life in the house of God, just doing the tasks that had been given. But he was doing it all in the presence of the Lord. And it was in that place that God spoke to him and called him. Now, we need to do much like Samuel. We need to position ourselves in the presence of the Lord if we want to hear him speak. We don't have an Ark of the Covenant to lie down beside, but because of the work of Jesus Christ and and the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have access to God's presence in ways that were impossible in the Old Testament. So how do we do it? And over the centuries, Christians have come up with a whole lot of different ideas and methods and techniques to try and find ways to put us in a position that we can hear the voice of God in our lives. I've got a few that I just want to throw at you today. I'm sure you've heard of most of them. One of the ideas was monasticism, becoming a monk or a nun, literally 
taking yourself away and secluding yourself from society so that you can spend all of your time listening to the voice of God. This has been going on for a long time. They believe the first monk was a man named uh, Paul the Hermit. Paul the Hermit. It's a shame his name wasn't Kermit, isn't it? But he decided to go and live a secluded life in the desert in the third century, about, about 260, all right? Because he wanted to follow God. He wanted to hear God's voice in his life. So becoming a monk or a nun, that's, that's what people have tried to do to try and hear the voice of God. But then not many people choose that path. And to be honest, God doesn't call many people to, to that path. And so others have suggested that, yeah, you still need to withdraw, you still need to get away, but they've suggested a different pattern. And, and one pattern that people have suggested is spend an hour a day, a day a month, and a week a year. That is, every day, set aside an hour where you draw away, you, 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 you seclude yourself, devote yourself to prayer, worship, and reading the word for an hour. And then every month, you set aside a day to do the same thing. You go away, you get out of, you get away from other people, and you spend a day in prayer and worship and reading the Word. And then every year, you set aside an entire week away from people to spend time in the presence of God and listen to His voice. That's another method that people have come up with. Another one that you may have heard of is uh, there's a guy called Bill Hybels. I'm sure most of you have heard of him, who is the founding pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, and he has, his method is all to do with a chair. It's a, it's a much more straightforward sort of idea. He says, get yourself a chair, sit in it for 15 minutes at the beginning of the day, reading the word and listening to God speak to you. So put yourself in a position to listen by sitting in a chair, 15 minutes at the beginning of your day. Read his word and listen to his voice speaking into your life. There's another technique uh, which people have come up with. It was actually a a priest, a Spanish priest called St. Ignatius. And uh, he he came up with a a whole lot of things in the 15th and 16th century to help people listen to God. And he came up with this, he wrote a book called Spiritual Exercises. And one of the techniques that is, is very commonly used is something called a daily examine. And instead of setting yourself aside or drawing aside at the beginning of the day and and asking God uh, to to speak to you, you, it's actually now a reflective prayer. And what he suggested was at the end of your day, look back, take a moment to consider what has God been doing in, in your life and saying to you through the day. And so he had these five steps. You, you, became, you become aware of God's presence. You review the day with thanksgiving and gratitude. You pay attention to your emotions. When did you feel angry? When did you feel elated? When did you feel lonely? When did you feel close to God? Examine those emotions. Think about what God was saying through all of that. And then he says, choose one element. Ask God to point out to you what was one important or significant moment of today and then pray into that. And then the fifth step is to look forward to tomorrow and say, God, I want you to be in my walk tomorrow. The daily examine. Just another method that people have come up with. How do we position ourselves to listen to the voice of God? And another technique that I've just heard of more recently that people use, just an hourly reminder. 
People literally put an alarm on their watch or their phone to beat every hour to remind you in that moment to pray and invite God to speak into whatever you're doing at that time. All right? So there's a bunch of different ways that people have used. Some of them you probably, you think they might sound all right, and some of them you possibly uh, terrify you, really. Um, but they all basically fall into one of two categories. To position ourselves to listen, we, we either need to draw aside, set aside time to ask God to speak to us, or we need to consistently and deliberately invite God to speak into whatever it is that we're doing. But preferably, we actually need to do a little bit of both. God wants to speak to us. We want to hear him. Let's position ourselves to listen to his voice. The next step after putting ourselves in position, though, is to receive and believe. It's one thing to be able to hear it. It's another thing to take it in. A few things here. You need to eliminate distractions. When I was a high school music teacher, I once had a particular student who really struggled to listen. Uh, and, you know, obviously, they weren't the only student I ever had that struggled to listen, but this particular pupil was aware that they had this problem, and they had needed to develop some tools to help them through it. And so on numerous occasions, they came to me, and they asked me a question. And midway through answering them, they would interrupt me and say, I'm really sorry, Mr. Bennett. Could you please start again? I wasn't listening properly. So they came to me, they asked the question, they put themselves in the position to hear, but they would be so easily distracted by anything else that was happening around them that they would lose their train of thought and weren't actually receiving the answer that they had come to get. And so they had to recognize that, stop, start again, refocus, and hear what was being said. So they had to eliminate distractions. You know, distraction is a really common reason for not being able to hear people, and it's the same with God. I mean, if I am in a room, but I'm reading a book, you could be sitting next to me, talking to me, calling my name, but it will still take time to break through the fog, won't it, dear? And my attention is somewhere else. I'm in the right place. I can hear fine, but I'm distracted. I'm not receiving the words that are being spoken to me because I'm thinking about and focusing on something else. It's so true when we're trying to hear from God. We can be so busy doing stuff that we don't allow the voice of God to break through the noise, to get through the tent wall and into our world. Another reason we are sometimes unable to receive what God is saying to us is that he, what he's saying is not what we expected him to say. We need to be willing to, willing to receive what he is saying, even if it's not what we expected or wanted to hear. Have you ever asked somebody a question, but in your mind you've already got an expectation of what they were going to answer, so you don't really listen to what they say? Again, this might just be me. But you, know, you might offer somebody a drink. You know, would you like tea or coffee? They always have coffee. You know that they're going to have coffee. They never drink tea, ever. So tea or coffee, are oh, good. And you start pouring the coffee, and then you realize, oh, no, actually, they, they said tea. But I, I wasn't listening to that response because I already, in my mind, had an expectation of what they were going to say. And so I didn't receive what they said because their answer was different to what I expected. That's kind of what happened when we, from the passage in John chapter 10. If we go back there for a minute, a couple of verses there. It says, The Jews who were there gathered around him 
saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. The Jews gathered around him. In fact, a more literal translation would be they encircled him. They wanted an answer. They put themselves in a position to listen. But Jesus said, I've already told you. The words he's spoken and the works that he's already done were more than enough to answer their question. But because he wasn't answering in the way they were expecting and because the answer wasn't what they wanted, they weren't willing to receive it and they couldn't believe it. Even the story of Samuel before, at first he wasn't able to receive what God was saying to him, but it wasn't because of distraction, and it wasn't because he wasn't willing. For Samuel, it was lack of understanding that stopped him from receiving the word of God. In verse 7 of chapter 3, it says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So it wasn't until he gained understanding And when Eli told Samuel that it was the Lord calling to him, that he knew how to recognize God's voice, and then he was able to receive God's word. So for us to receive and believe what God is saying to us, we need to eliminate distraction, we need to be willing to receive, and we need to continue to grow in our understanding of God's word and God's voice. All right? So get in position to listen, be willing to to receive and believe. And finally, step three today, follow and obey. There's not much point in having a desire to hear God's voice in our lives if we're not willing to do what he says when he speaks, is there? Remember that Jesus said, sheep listen to his voice, he knows them, and they follow him. It seems obvious, you would think, but but if God speaks to you, Listen to what he says and obey him. You know, the word of God is filled with people who actually followed step one and two. Step one and two. They were in a position to hear from God. They heard from God. They received and believed what he had to say to them. But then we've got lots of people whose story then went one way or the other. Did they follow and obey what he said to them or did they not? And you look at somebody like Jonah It wasn't that he didn't hear from God. It wasn't that he didn't believe God. It's just that actually he disagreed with God and didn't want to obey what he did. He didn't want to go and save the Ninevites. In fact, later we learn it's because he believed God was the very reason he ran, because he didn't want God to warn the Ninevites and to save them. You think about Samson, who was given this great gift of strength and was told, don't tell anybody your secret. Well, he did tell somebody his secret. It wasn't that he didn't believe God. It wasn't that he hadn't received the word, but he didn't walk in obedience to God's word over him, and that is what brought him to destruction. But then you look at other amazing stories, somebody like an Abraham who was told by God to take his son and, and sacrifice him. He heard the word. He was in a position to listen. He received it. He believed it, and he chose to follow and obey, and God stepped in and saved his son. You can go right through all of Scripture and find that moment. They got step one. They got step two. They made a choice at step three. You know, there's a, a really silly example in my life. It's quite bizarre. And some of you will have heard this story before. I, I did share it 
a number of years ago. But um, uh, it would be about a decade or so ago uh, at school. I, w- I was a teacher, and each year we have a school fair or fiesta. And this particular year, somebody had this amazing idea just to, to liven the thing up a little bit. We're going to do some different activities featuring the staff doing things that you would never expect the staff to do. And one of the brilliant things that they thought that we could do is just have sort of a fake, silly mud wrestling pit where staff members would mud wrestle, right? Now, some of you are already thinking, yes, that is one of, that's already bizarre, right? So, yes, it was bizarre, but it was just a fun, silly little thing. Now, one of the organizers came to me one day and said, hey, we're doing this thing. We'd really love if you could be a part of it. And I did what any normal person would do and said, no, thank you. That's ridiculous. I'm not at all interested. And that was fine. That's, why would I do that? Uh, and so that went on. A couple of weeks later, the person came back to me and said, look, actually, we really need, we really need one more person. We've, we've got this thing going. We've got some things organized, but we really need one more person. It would be just so great if you could do that. And in my spirit, in my gut, without a doubt, I knew that the correct answer was no. I felt horrible about this idea, all right? I did not want to do it, but it wasn't just that I don't want to do it. It was a, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do this. And being the kind-hearted and servant and excellent employee that I am, I then said, well, if you really need someone else, I guess I'll do it to help out. So I said, okay, fine. Big mistake big mistake. The day of the fiesta arrived, and I was actually the music teacher, and so I was organizing uh, sound gear and setting up the jazz band and things like that, and in the morning, the person came to me and said, oh, really sorry, um, the, the person you were going to do the mud wrestling thing with, you're not, you're not doing that with them anymore. There's actually a different person that you're going to do this with, and, and I had this same feeling in the pit of my stomach. I was like, wait, hang on a second. No, I, I never agreed to get in the ring with that person. I only ever agreed to get in the ring with this person. I should get out now. I should say, no, this is... And I ignored it. Uh, Okay, all right, fine. The event happens. We're starting. I am up on the stage with the jazz band. I think I was playing keyboard at the time. And, and, you know, it was actually a really windy day. I still remember it it was windy and cold and music was falling off music stands. So anyway, it was quite funny. But I'm playing, and while I'm playing and leading the jazz band, the person came up next to me and talking to me again, we've decided to move the event half an hour earlier, we need you to come over right now and do the thing. And right, I mean, I just still don't understand how I ignored all of this, but I had a third opportunity to say, then do it without me, because I don't want to do it, and I don't feel that I should do it, and actually I'm doing my job right now, because I've got this other thing, and I, I think I should do this, but no, that's fine. I said, oh, oh no, I'm still there. Okay, I'll do it. So I got off the stage, and I went and got ready, and so I got changed. I put on some old clothes, which seemed like a good idea at the time, but turned out to be a really bad idea. And uh, I also had this Stormtrooper helmet, which I put on, because it was, well, I thought it'd be funny, but mostly because I just didn't want anybody to know it was me. Um, So I I had the Stormtrooper helmet, and I had these old clothes on, and and they led me over, and I hadn't even got to speak to the person that I was supposed to be uh, doing this thing with, and... And I said, what's the idea? What are we supposed to do? He said, oh, you you get on your knees and you just have to push the person out the edge of the mud pit and then the thing's over. Sweet. So I get in there. But the thing is, the the Stormtrooper helmet, while it was a fun idea, it was one of those things that basically just had little pinholes for eyes. 
right? So I sort of had vision basically like this. That was what I could kind of see. And there, was no, there were no ear holes. You know, I couldn't hear anything really. So I couldn't hear. And of course, uh, there's no, there was no grill for the mouth either. And you know when you breathe and you just get the condensation and stuff. So I'm standing there or, or kneeling there in this, no, standing in this mud pit. And I've got this helmet on, and uh, this, is, this was a big mistake. I, I think I've made a really bad decision getting in here. But oh well, it'll be over really quick. The next thing that happened is suddenly, from behind, as I'm standing there, something just launches right into the middle of my back and knocks me clean over into the mud. Now, I assumed at that point that it was the person that I was wrestling against as opposed to a low-flying jet or something like that. Um, but but that was pretty disturbing. I thought, okay, that's fine. And I, I got up onto my knees and realized that the stormtrooper helmet had twisted round like this, right? So instead of having two pinholes to see out of, I had just nothing. I, I, had, I had a white, white helmet, condensation, couldn't hear, this thing's going on. I'm in a mud pit in front of my school community. This is fantastic. So, okay, fine. This is good. So I, I kneel there and I'm trying to find this person. And, and they were, I suddenly realized, wait, they're not kneeling, they're standing up. What, what's going on here? So I'm kneeling down, this person's standing up, reaching over me and, and reaching. How am I supposed to get this person out of the pit when they're, oh, this is crazy. But it turns out that all of that craziness up until that point was just to ease me in to what was about to happen. Because they obviously decided that the best way to get a guy like me out of a mud pit, since I was kneeling down, would be to lift me out of the mud pit and just throw me out. And the way they thought that they should lift me was to reach over behind me and grab the back of my track pants. Now, because I'd worn old clothing, and I'm not petite. I mean, I know I'm pretty small, but I'm not petite. So those track pants were only designed to, you know, be a covering. They were not designed... (laughs) to be a sling or a, a, a lift or anything like that. And so he reached over, grabbed my track pants and pulled, and he got my track pant waistband fine. That was fine. But the, pant, the seat of the pants just ripped open, right? So now I am kneeling in a mud pit with a stormtrooper helmet twisted around my head in front of my school community with my pants ripped off, right? This is, this is good. I'm thinking that one of those three moments where I should have said no probably would have been good. It turns out that that moment, though, was just a way of easing me in to what was coming next because when the track pant technique didn't work, they figured that probably what they should do is lift me out of the pit using my underpants. Now, I think I mentioned that I was wearing old clothes, And when they reached over and grabbed the waistband of my underpants, they ripped as well. (laughs) Mud wrestling is not all it's cracked up to be. In hindsight, did you get that one? Did you get that one? Yeah. Now, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. People were over the moon about the rest of the event, though. Just... They loved it. But, I mean, there was a lot of mud. There was a lot of mud. I was kneeling down. I I really don't know. I I don't know. I mean, 
my clothing was still on my body, right? It wasn't, they weren't removed from my body, but they were no longer intact, right? So at this point, obviously, all I wanted to do was for this thing to end. And, but of course, I couldn't see, so I couldn't even find the edge of the pit. So I'm just lying there, reaching, trying to find where the edge of the mud pit is so it would be over and get out. And, and I did, and that was fine. Actually, the really sad thing is that the, I was wearing sandals, and the sandals like, got ripped off and stuck in the mud pit. I lost my sandals, and my Stormtrooper helmet couldn't get the mud off. It was never the same again. So that's two sandals, one helmet, one pair of underwear, and a pair of track pants. Not worth it. The point is, though, the point is, though, afterwards I realized I had three moments that were not just my mind telling me that I didn't want to do this, but the Spirit of God unsettling me in such a way that I actually knew it was the wrong thing for me to do. And for reasons that I will never understand, but hopefully have learned from, I didn't follow those promptings. Now, God wants to speak into every element of your life, whether it is the normal routine every day, or it's the big decision, what am I going to do? Or it is the unforeseen circumstance, like somebody invites you to get into a mud wrestling pit. God wants to be a part of your life. And he will speak to you. I want to read a last passage here from John 14, just a couple of chapters down from where we've been reading. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. God speaks through our thoughts and to our heart by the promptings of the Holy Spirit. God speaks through conversations with others and godly counsel from others. God speaks through amazing circumstances and the right timing. God speaks through prophetic word. God speaks through his peace, which he graciously deposits in our spirit. And more often than any of those, really, God speaks through his word, through the scripture. So position yourself to listen to him. Be prepared to receive and believe what he is saying to you. Respond to his word by following and obeying him. Tim, could I have you come up and join me here? What kind of person do you want to become in 2018? Do you want to become more like one of his sheep? Do you want to be one who listens to God's voice, who knows him and is known by him? One who follows him. Do you desire to hear from him? Are you expecting to hear from him? These guys are going to lead us in a song now, which we know well, called Your Word. Your word will not be shaken. Your word will never fail me. Like a fire in my bones. Like a whisper to my soul. Your word is revelation. Like a fire in my bones, like a deep 
set understanding, something that is flowing through me, his revelation of his word, he speaks to me in my spirit, or like a whisper to my soul, like a gentle prodding, this is the way you should go. And I pray that his word would be revelation for you today, that the Holy Spirit would stir within you, that you would sense God speaking to you afresh. There's a time partway through this song when the musicians continue to play, but there are no lyrics to be sung. Would you today take that opportunity to rest in the presence of God, to listen for his voice, to receive what he has to say to you and resolve to follow and obey him? Would you stand with us and we're going to sing together?